Lancey Lee, welcome to the Tokyo Living Podcast. Thank you for having me, Sam. And, uh, and thank you very much for hosting me on your show last week. Um, if viewers and listeners haven't already, um, check out the, the relevant platforms for that. We'll put uh, links in the show notes. But uh, I was honoured to be on uh, Lance's show. And we had a lot of fun sort of talking about my background and, uh, and my story in Japan. Um, but uh, today, it's all about Lance. Um, you know, uh, on the show, we, we like to talk about uh, all things sport and, um, and you know, the positive uh, benefits and influences that sport can have on people's lives so um, looking forward to touching on uh, all the great work you've done with the ICANN gymnastics program uh, but there's obviously a lot more to the uh, Lance Lee story uh, than that you've you've been out in Tokyo for uh, the best part of you know, half a century uh, and, and achieved some amazing things in that time including um, you know, being president of the Tokyo American Club as well as uh, president of the American Chamber of Commerce out here in Japan um, but uh, perhaps if we sort of start at the start and um, and, and tell the sort of viewers and listeners you know whereabouts did you grow up and uh, and what made you uh, come out to Japan? Well, actually, I grew up in Los Angeles. And the reason why I came to Japan is because I was drafted. Right. It was during Vietnam, so I was drafted unwillingly. I had one year in college and had to drop college to um, go into the draft. And then while I was in the service, I was only stationed outside of the continental United States. Well, actually, I was stationed in Puerto Rico. And then I felt, since I'd spent time in the service and I hadn't gone anywhere outside, let me put in for Vietnam. I did, but they said they couldn't give me Vietnam, but they could give me Japan, and that's how I ended up in Japan. And um, wow. And what year was that? That was in 1974. It wow. was just as, as we were being overrun in, in Vietnam, and you saw those pictures of helicopters being pushed off of ships and people trying to pile up on any way, any way they could get out of Vietnam, they were trying to get out. Mm. At the time, I was trying to go in. Yeah, and they, yeah. they had the requirements, but I could go to Japan, and I came here, and I was happy I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to go to Vietnam, but I figured that was my only way outside of the United States. Right. Okay. Yeah. And how long did you serve for at, when you arrived in Japan? I had to extend so that I could stay for two years. And mm. after that two years, it would have been... The, it was the end of my service. They actually wanted me to stay in longer to go to officer's training school. And I convinced them that I just wanted one year in civilian life to see what it would be like. Okay. And after that, I would reconsider. So they were, they obliged me and said, sure. But I, to be honest, I had no intentions of coming back on the service. Yeah. And um, when I left, when I was discharged in California, I immediately turned around and came back to Japan. Okay. I was working with an investment company, and that was a quite interesting ride because I learned what to do with money. Should I ever got? Should I ever get any? That was the only thing <laughs> working with them. Yeah. And from there, it led me to the American School, where I ended up being PE teacher there for three years, and then I formed IGC, okay. and that's when I started on my journey in teaching children confidence through gymnastic skills. Yeah, yeah. So what, what sort of period of time uh, was that when you were at ASIJ? Well, actually, from I got out of the service in 1976. So from mm. 74 to 76, I was stationed in the Air Force at Yokota Air Force Base. Yep. And I got out, stayed with the investment company for one more year, and then I got a job at the American School from 1977 to 1980. Okay. So I was 
physical education teacher there for those three years. Yeah. And then, then I formed my own company. And then I started working at schools. I worked at Sacred Heart. I worked at Alba International. But I was contract. So yeah. it was a little bit different than being a full-time teacher. Yeah. It was actually better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was really good. And what's your own athletic background? Um, did you practice gymnastics growing up? I was a competitive gymnast from high school, four years in high school, one year in college, even with my height, but I didn't get my height until actually I got out of high school. I was about five, nine, five, ten. Oh, really? High school. Yes. And okay. then I got another inch or an inch and a half on good days once I got into college. Okay. So I was competitive. I, first year I did all around. Hmm. I competed on all the pieces of equipment. And then I realized my upper body was getting too big and my lower body wasn't. So I look like that character Foghorn in um, Looney Tunes, the big upper body and little thin duck legs. So yeah. that's, that's what I look like. So I decided to restrict myself to just floor and tumbling, floor exercise and tumbling. So uh, that's how I competed all the way through. So yeah. it was always a surprise to people to see me. First of all, being of color, you didn't have many people of color that were gymnasts at that time. Mm. So it was very interesting to find that most people didn't believe I was a gymnast. They thought yeah. I was either football or basketball. Yeah, sure. And I loved yeah. it. It was yeah. fantastic, you know. And then when you were at uh, ASOJ, you were working as a, a full-time PE teacher yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and they, they allowed me, but there was one interesting thing. They allowed me to run my gymnastics program. That was one of the conditions. Right. I could have okay. a gymnastics program after school. That was a condition for me to agree to be a PE teacher there. And yep. allowed that to happen. And it was just, it was um, unreal. I have to say that my last year, my last year there, I really believe I was making more income than the headmaster through my program and just being a PE teacher because I'd, I had an agreement that every year we'd renegotiate my contract. Right. Okay. And we did that. And that's what I learned from being an investment consultant. So. Yeah. We, re, we did that. And then when I taught at Sacred Heart, when I taught at Aoba, they had a non-disclosure agreement because of the amount of money I was being paid. They didn't want the teachers to know. Mm. I just came in to do what I did. And I stopped being a PE teacher and started becoming a mortar coordination specialist. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> it changed things quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, so that's um, yeah, 42 years since you left the school. Um, and did, did all your uh, boys go through ASIJ as well? Or, um... No, no, no. My youngest went to ASIJ nursery kindergarten, and then I took them out, and I put three of my sons in the British school. Okay. And I had them there for a couple of years. Then from there, I had them homeschooled for about a year. It's very unorthodox the way I had my kids educated. Then I had them homeschooled. And because my mentor at the time had his kids homeschooled, and I realized how much sure they were and how much information they had. Mm. And it was cheap, too. It was, it was inexpensive. So I brought a girl from England over here, got an apartment in Shibuya, had her work with my three sons at the time. My youngest was too young to be in school. And she taught them every day. And sometimes she babysat for us as well. Yeah. And overall, it was really inexpensive. And we did that for about a year and a half. And then my wife felt that they weren't learning to be as social as they should be. 
Mm. She really wanted them to go back to school. So I suggested, let's put them in Japanese school. Mm. They're just as Japanese as they are American. And when Japanese people really become Japanese is through elementary school. That's mm. when they actually understand what it's like to be Japanese. Yeah. So my kids went through that up until, I think they had one year in junior high school. Then I took them out and put them back in international school. But they went to international school in Yokohama. Okay. Because yep. I felt that was a little more to the likings of what I'd become accustomed to after living here for so long. Yeah, it sure. Was more, um, it wasn't so fixed on one way. It's like they were more used to dealing with world situations and not yep. just one situation. So that's why I had them in Yokohama. Yeah, interesting. It worked out very well for my sons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and do you have anything to do with um, the ASIJ now? Do you ever sort of go back and see the school? Have you? As a matter of fact, I have. I still have a program at the nursery kindergarten. Yes, the one yeah. in Japan. So yeah. I've never I've never broken my ties with the SIJ. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're very close to my heart. I mean, I, I attribute a lot to what I've done based upon being a teacher at the American School because of all the other teachers I got to meet and who I interacted with. Many of them aren't there any longer, mm. but many of them I still have a very strong connection with. So yeah. they were a big part. As a matter of fact, there's a family called the Toteros, Vince and Sue Totero, who actually helped me form my first gymnastics company. Okay. Including the logo. I created the logo, but it was actually, she was gonna do it, but I couldn't let her do it, so I did it. And we were supposed to bring it over the weekend, and she didn't have time to do it. And I said, it didn't matter because we're going to use the one I came up with. Right. And, no, I'm still very close with them. So there's a lot of people I'm close with that are still, some are still here in Japan. So yeah. it's a very, very impressionable, important time of my life was working mm -hmm. at ESIJ. Yeah, yeah. So that's about it. And then how did you go about uh, sort of going out on your, obviously you'd sort of built the gymnastics program within the school. So you had sort of the foundations there. Well, where did you go from there? Well, from there, I actually, like I said, I started to contract myself with other international schools. Hmm. I did that. And then during that time I was dating my wife and she was a medical student at the time. And I thought once she finished medical school and became a doctor, it seemed kind of awkward, even though I was doing okay financially. She's married to a PE teacher, <laughs> and she's a doctor. So I thought, what could I do that would seem to make sense of us being together on a business level? So that's when I got involved with CT scanners, buying used medical equipment. Okay. I was actually going to start off by starting off with building a catalog on medical apparatus like artificial arms so people could learn how to use a syringe and stuff like that. Mm. Nurses and doctors could do that. And I was building up the catalog when one of the um, parents of one of the kids I was working with in my program came to me and introduced the scanner business to me. Well, we became partners. A year after we started, two years after we started, I bought them out. There were three of us, four of us. I bought them out and I controlled the whole company. So I had the company for 10 years wow. before um, I stopped doing that business. But um, it was very lucrative for me okay. because at the beginning, to go and take out a scanner, they were paying to have them throw, thrown away. And when I first started for the first two to three years of doing the business, 
I was being paid to take out the scanners and I would charge them less than they'd have to pay if they dealt with someone else. Mm. Then after a while, they got wind of how much was involved in the scanner business right. and then they had to start paying for it, but it was still minimal compared to what we made in the resale of this yeah. used equipment. And this was yeah. all during the bubble, so it was very lucrative for us. Yeah, yeah. And so were you um, were still coaching uh, on the side during that time? Actually, I, did. I had a staff of about 28 instructors. Really? Oh, and wow. Had, oh, yes. And I had over, I think, about four or 500 children in our program. But I wasn't teaching any longer, but I would come in. And that was one thing that made me realize how much I really cared about doing the program, because I would come in sometimes and people would start wondering who I was. Yeah. And the kids weren't yelling Mr. Lee anymore. They, I was just a stranger. And that didn't feel good because really, yeah. I always enjoyed the pureness of dealing with children. They have no facades. They tell you exactly how they feel in one way or the other. Mm. And I've always, that's always helped to keep me humble. No matter mm. what I did, they could care less. What am I doing to enhance their existence here? Yeah. So I missed that. And I didn't, I, I didn't realize it until after I was away for a while and I'd come back and they really didn't know who I was. And it, and it also, to add insult to injury, when the parents would look at me like, who's this guy in here? Nobody, none, of look, none of these kids look like they belong to him. So <laughs> that, I was happy to get back into it. I was yeah. really happy to get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how did you build up the staff? Was it um, yeah, primarily? It wasn't, me. it wasn't me who built them up. It was the okay. president I had of the company in then. And her name is Hiroko. Okay. Hiroko was my president at the time. And she built up the staff because she's from a physical education college. Mm. So she was bringing in instructors from there. And we had a very good staff. They yeah. came in. And I would help to interview them. But it was her show. Yeah. So she ran it. And people thought I worked for her. Right. Yeah. Every now and then when I did help, parents would think they would they would praise her on how nice it was for her to have this one instructor who's really good with the kids. And they were talking about me. And yeah, yeah. that would surprise me, but I would never dispute it. I just let it go yeah. on the way it was because I didn't want to be having to do that all the time. Yeah. Because I had yeah. scanner deals and I never knew when I was going to have to go because this wasn't something you could schedule mm. when the scanner came out. So it could be a a moment's notice, and I'd have to leave. So, sure, yeah, it was good to have and, somebody. Yeah, and so we, I guess, um, you would have wanted the instructors to, you know, coach and uh, sort of mentor the kids in a certain way. Were you sort of instructing her on how you want the the coaches to be trained, and and what were some of the main things that you were trying to instill in the coaches, and what what are the main sort of things that you were trying to get across in your coaching? That's a good point because I would have instructor meetings. So the instructor mm. knew who I was mm. and I would speak to them. But a lot of them, well, for all of them, English was not their first language. So the nuances they couldn't get. And I wasn't, I didn't have the ability to get that across. So I always felt there was always a disconnect between what I really wanted and what they were able to offer just because they couldn't understand the small nuances that go along with any language. Mm -hmm. So it'd be the same, a foreigner coming over here with a different language, trying to teach Japanese kids in a way that would make them really functional in Japan. Yeah. 
I was trying to prepare our kids for a world audience. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't coming across the way I wanted, but and again, again, I felt bad about this, but I couldn't do both. Sure. So instead of trying to be so strict about it being the way I thought it should be, I would let it go sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just so that I could continue to bring in business from the scanner business. Yeah, sure. Because sure. A lot of times, and then I had a gymnastics team too. And there was no way we would be able to charge the parents the amount of money it would cost for me to rent the gyms to keep a gymnastics team. So I was funding it. Okay. So I a lot of money just to keep the program going. Mm-hmm. You know, but that yeah. was my heart. The scanner business was good because it created capital, but it yeah. didn't give me a fulfilling feeling that I was really making a difference in, in, in someone's life. Yeah. yeah. Gymnastics did and I and like to go on a little bit further when I finally did start to trim it down and get involved again and get my sons involved because I knew it'd be a good training lesson training training environment for them to understand how to deal with other human beings. Yeah. So I made it mandatory that all of my sons taught with me. And right. to be honest, that was the best time in my life. I mean talking about uh, a bond they already bond with each other, and I think that was during their homeschooling. Yeah. But with me, when they had to teach with me every single weekend, yeah, it wasn't by choice. I said, if I were a fisherman, I said, you picked me. I did not pick you. You had a one in a 300 millionth of a chance of being my child. <laughs> Everyone that understands biology understands what I'm saying. So I said, you picked me. I didn't pick you. If I were a fisherman, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Yeah, <laughs> and I said, I'm a gymnast, and I have a program. You guys are going to learn how to teach and work with other people, and explain to their parents when they come to you asking how their child is. And I think all that was just a fire. It was just a phenomenal learning experience for my sons. I could, I can't think of a better way to teach them how to deal with people than to have yeah. them do that. Yeah, yeah, all over the world. That's and amazing. I. It was it was really good, and it bonded us together as well. Yeah, I um, so with my kids karate program, um, and and I think that's actually the the first time we met um, was probably uh, ten years ago at uh, ASIJ when they were running um, like a, 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 a after school activity like um. um training session just on on sort of logistics things and that with all the coaches right. uh, but um i i can remember uh talk, you talking about your program and focusing more on sort of the, the confidence aspect rather than the actual skills associated with with gymnastics um one of the other um coaches who i know quite well sort of joked and said yeah some of my kids actually became overconfident through lance's program uh which i always remember that was a, was a good comment no but but um within my karate program um so i sort of when I started off uh, teaching in Tokyo, um, one of my first patients when I was working at uh, Tokyo Physio um, in early 2005 um, turned out to be a principal of K-Space International School. And so okay. we were just chatting and she's, and you know, I said, yeah, I came out to Japan for karate and she goes, oh, do, do you teach? Do you teach kids? It's like, yeah. And, and she said, how, how young? It's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've taught kids you know, from about eight. And she's like, Oh no! I need someone who can teach kids like three or four or five. And it's like, 
I could try. Um, and so, yeah, I taught at uh, K-Space for probably, or basically the whole time I was at Tokyo Physio. So that would have been mm-hmm. seven years. Um, and then I sort of branched out and started teaching at um, at the Early Learning Center and then it also at, uh, at Nishimachi. Um, Sam, let me ask you a question. When you started teaching those three-year-olds, did you find that it's a fine line between babysitting and actually teaching? Yeah. When you start teaching that young, when you're teaching children that young, you really have to have your best game going on because they are truly going to tell you the way they feel. Yeah, yeah. And if you can't entertain them and keep them focused, buddy, it becomes yeah. a babysitting program, and you don't want to have that. Yeah. it's uh, So uh, the classes that I run at uh, 360 uh, on a Wednesday, I do a, a three- and four-year-old's class, uh, a five-years year, and over for the, the, um, the sort of beginner's to sort of early uh, intermediate and then uh, more sort of intermediate and advanced class. And you're right, it gets easier the, as the, the evening progresses, but that first class is really hard work. Um, but what I was getting to, um, so both my sons uh, are training at the moment. Um, the younger one is uh, four and a half. Um, the older one will be uh, seven in a couple of days. And so um, the, the four-year-old does the three and four-year-olds class, but um, because Max, the older one, is there anyway, and he's got his his orange belt, um, I've actually had him now as the assistant instructor. So um, we've got the, the kids sort of lined up, and then Max will actually stand out the front with me and go through uh, the techniques and then, you know, help the, the kids. So when we're getting them to, to punch uh, mitts and getting them to hold the mitts for each other, Max will sort of go around and, and help, and uh, and he loves it. It gives him sort of a, a sense of... Uh, sense not of as much as you do. Not as much as you do though yeah no absolutely i love seeing him do it. Yeah. yes that's my boy yeah yeah so i, I definitely understand what uh where you're coming from from that perspective for sure yeah um and so and, and uh, did you start off all your kids uh in gymnastics fairly young then um it was take one step do a forward roll take one step do a back handspring no they don't even remember when they started because that's all they've been doing yeah yeah been doing that from birth Yes. And do they, do they still train? Do they? No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. I, think it's, I, I don't know. I think that's the curse of having your own kids. When you want them, I think when they know you want them to do something. Yeah. And I think well, I was the same way. My father wanted me to stay in the United States. And it really hurt him when I told him I was coming back to Japan. Yeah. I just knew I was going to stay there. And I said, Dad, let me take. He knew I wasn't going to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's. Had I been sharp, I would have pretended like I didn't want them to do it and they'd still be doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never really pushed my kids, but... Um, no, no, I, I mean, don't push them. I don't think I yeah. pushed them. Just, they know you don't have to. They can yeah, tell. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, tell. yeah. Um, and they've, you know, my kids have gravitated towards. Uh, they're both obsessed with um, with WWE, so they, they like that sort of combat environment. And so, okay. yeah, the, the karate is... Um, comes very natural to them, and, and uh, yeah, they love it. Although I was actually talking to Max, my oldest, because uh, he's doing soccer and rugby, and he's and he said, "Daddy, do you know what my favourite sport is?" And I was like, "Do I want to know?" And he's like, "It's soccer." Okay, that's fine. Daddy, do you know what my second favourite sport is? I don't know. What is it? Rugby. Okay. All right. You can stop beating me up now. I, I'm I'm sure this is a problem of. Uh... You can stop. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you've been teaching them, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so with your program then, did you sort of um, uh, establish your 
goals with the program in terms of like yeah, teaching the kids confidence and teaching those, those life values right from the start? Um, and well, is, that, is that a reflection of the way that you were coached when you were young as well? Not at all. No. As a matter of fact, it's because I wasn't coached like that that I thought, what could I do to help teach children to be as confident as possible so they could get these skills? Because first of all, I'm working with a very small window of time. The children that I get aren't going to be with me necessarily. They're expats. They have a three to five year window, period. Yeah. And then it looks like they're starting all over again. So I have to get this information across to them as fast as possible and build them up as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. I remember there was one thing I used to do at the end of all my classes. I'd have the kids yell, I can. And there was this one guy that came to watch my program. And this is after I'd had it for about maybe six, seven years. He said, um, Mr. Lee, I love your program and I like what you're doing with the children. Why do you wait till the end to have them yell, I can? Why don't you start off the program with them saying, I can and ending it with I can. You know, and I thought, I mean, it was like, you know, come on. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing all this time and making such a big deal about them saying I can at the end and didn't do it at the beginning, so I started using that. I can came from a little girl by the name of Angie Bennett, who must be in her, I won't say, she's, she's, she's halfway to a, 100 years old, so, wow. when I taught her. And she would do one back handspring She'd do several back handsprings if I spotted the first one. I made it a point one weekend to sit with her and work with her for a whole lot. It was two hours spotting her and telling her she could do it. And she kept on telling me she couldn't. And it finally clicked. And I started using some of my training from an investment consultant from different books that I read, like Think and Grow Rich is a Man Thinking, all these positive motivational books. And there's one thing I remember in one book that said, if you can get people to say yes enough, they'll automatically act before they think a no. Yep. So I told her to say, I can, I can. I, she said, but I can't. I said, that's okay. Just say you can. Mm -hmm. And I'd had her say it. I said, I had her say it over and over. And then we did a back handspring. And I said, say it again. And then she did a back handspring. Then I said, this time I'm not going to spot you, but say, I can, I can. And she said it. She did a back and it kept on going. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to use that from now on. That's where the I can came from. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that I learned, saying is one thing, but vibrating it is another. The children won't believe it or feel it if you don't. It's just like in karate. When you're hitting the maki water or whatever, if you don't center just right and put your full force in it, you'll break your wrist. Mm -hmm. But if you use, like they call it chi, mm -hmm. same thing with building that same belief system. It comes out and the kids feel it and you can give it to them. Giving it to them is not hard. Having them maintain it. And the problem I find all the time is they're with you for a few minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even if they're in an hour, they get about 10 minutes with you in a class. Let's mm -hmm. say you have 20 kids in the class. Each child gets at most 10 minutes of your time. All right. How much time are they spending with everybody else telling them they can't do it? Yeah. The next week, because it's usually once a week. Yeah. And even if you have them every day, who are they listening to the other 24 hours? That's the hard part. And that's why I made sure the parents came and watched us once every four weeks. So I would be talking to them, but they thought I was talking to their kids. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be talking to the parents because that would be the issue. 
Yeah. I want to make sure they keep it. But luckily, we live in an environment with these expats that most of them already had the attitude or they wouldn't even be here. That's true. They yeah. couldn't be here. So we're very fortunate that way. But every now and then, a few creep through that really that, that maintain a different attitude. And then oh, this is one example. One person came up to me once, and this is literally how they came up to me. They said, Mr. Lee... Why is my child so lethargic? <laughs> so, I mean, that's what you're dealing with sometimes, but very rare. It's very rare. And it's easy to change because they're in an environment where people are so energized and so ready to take on the next challenge. Yeah. Sometimes it can be too much, but that's the case. So yeah. and my program isn't really a gymnastics program, and I've veered away from that. I use it as a vehicle. When people do come here and they're only interested in gymnastics and on a competitive level, a level I always, I revert, referred so many kids to you, it's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> and other people, because that's not what I teach. Mm, yeah, so right. The kids will get the skills. There's no yeah. way you can't be confident and not get a back handspring, not get a forward roll, not get a hit stand. But I don't put it together and give them a routine. Yeah, They need to go to a club that does that, and they need to do it more than once a week if they really want to be good at it. And that's for anything. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've done that with some of my students as well, you know, if they want to get serious into that. You've got to be um, there. And I tell the parents it's a commitment. You're going to have to take them to each place they're going to have to go. Mm. They're going to have to go often, yeah. you know. And the Go on. Yeah. no, as I said, I mean, the, the, the expat, the sort of three to five years is, is such a challenge. Like, I actually um, posted uh, on my Instagram a couple of days ago um, a, a sort of collage of the last you know, group of students I had get their new belts. Uh, and then in the middle of that collage, I just had a picture of the belt, two belts by themselves, which were green belts, which was the highest. Um, uh, belt through the um with that group of kids that went through in the last grading last uh last month um mm. that uh didn't get their belts because they basically the day after the grading they relocated with their family to uh to germany and always these kids yeah these kids are, are taught for um i mean they're uh 11 and 12 now i started teaching them when they were like um seven and eight or six and I mean, seven yeah. Built them up, built them up, built them up, and and they were just starting to get some momentum, going tournaments, have some success, and then with a couple of months' notice, it's like, oh, Sensei Sam, we're, we're going to Germany uh, in the summer. Like, and you go, I've gone to the parents many times and said, I'm sorry, you can't leave. Your kids, you can leave, but your kids have to stay with you. <laughs> too much time in them. Yeah. I'm not gonna let them go. I can't do it because you know what happened when I had a team too. You could lose half your team, and then when you start competing again, people think. Who are these kids? I mean, you're starting with kids doing forward rolls again, and you had kids doing backhand swings on the beam. You had them doing doubles on the trampoline. And they leave, and then you start questioning yourself. Did I really teach these kids? Because look at this. Now what do I have? And it's hard to always start over again. And I was, you know, have these kids. And we were competing against Japanese kids. Well, that's the thing, yeah. I, I was just going to say, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, refereeing at the um, uh, the national at our national championships, and yeah, you know, the brand chief is like, "Oh no, the Rapongi Dojo still hasn't got any uh, any fighters in the nationals." It's like you don't understand. Like, <laughs> I get someone close to that level, and Inevitably. then gone. inevitably, yes, yeah. isn't that something? It's tough. It's wow. tough. Yeah. But hey, but that's it, it. It made me change my focus. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 
And this also, I stopped teaching. I, I don't teach as young a child. I don't teach really young children anymore. I think our age range is now because the director, she takes care of all that, all of that. And I think it's age six to age 10, because mm -hmm. I find that if they're too young, then it, it takes, I'm spending too much time at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I've had mm -hmm. them for about a month. It's no problem. Yeah. But I'm getting to the age where <laughs> I'm not as okay. anxious to do that anymore. Yeah, so yeah. I want them to come in with, they understand what I'm saying right away. Yeah. Right. They yeah. come in at that age. And if I have them past 10, if they're, if they're my kids and I've had them from a certain period of time, I'll let them go on later. But if they're not and they're new to come in, it's too much baggage I have to deal with. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a confidence building program. And if they come in with the wrong attitude, it's too late. I mean, not too late, but it's difficult to change that mindset yeah. if they're past 10. Yeah, and they have a certain yeah. mindset about themselves. And there's some things you can't say either, too, when the kids come in and they're not physically capable. Mm. And that's an issue. And it's become very touchy in the Western world. You're not supposed to talk about it, but I do. I don't play. Yeah. I, t I go to the parents right away. And a How lot of you heard that. Yeah. It's, it's hard, but I go up to them and I'll say, <laughs> it's hard to say it, but I'll say, the skills they're going to go through, if they don't take care of this vessel they have in the proper way, it's going to hurt them more than it's going to help them. Mm. But it depends on, and I'm trying to read the parent as I'm talking to them. And I said, our children do not represent our future. Our children represent our past. Because mm. the only thing we can teach to them is what we've already learned. Mm. Now, on the other hand, what we represent to our children is their possible future. So we mm -hmm. owe it to them, but most of all to ourselves, to be all we can be to show them what's possible. So mm -hmm. if we don't take care of our bodies and our children grow up loving us, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a nice Take care idea. of your body and they grow up loving you. What do you think they're going to do? So don't expect things of your children that you're not willing to do. Mm. <laughs> don't you? They're they're going to end up to feel really bitter towards you if you aren't practicing what you preach. No, it's so true. So true. So that's no, I, love message. No. I have four boys that come to my house, come to my apartment all the time, and their mother can't wait to show how lean and mean they are and everything. That's the only reason why. That's the only. <laughs> because they are just cut and lean and and they don't even have to try. Yeah. It's a challenge for me. I can imagine. <laughs> and so um obviously you're still very active with the program. How how much coaching do you do at the moment? Right now our, our programs don't start until September. We're a little late yeah. this year. And um we have about from 300 children we went down to almost like 30, which, to be honest, I I really prefer that at my yeah, age. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because I can really give full attention to them. I don't have them. None of my classes are more than 10. Well, I should take it back. I think I have one that's maybe 12 kids or something like that. Mm. And in that hour's time, I can really give them attention. And I really see the difference. And yeah. I enjoy it. I'm, I'm enjoying it, too. It's not like It's not like it used to be. Yeah. So I really enjoy doing it now. And I like the contact between them. And I like 
their parents are so young. Their parents are younger than a lot of the <laughs> their parents. Their parents are younger than a lot of the people I taught when I taught at the American school. Yeah, yeah. Kids I taught are approaching their sixties almost. Yeah, well. <laughs> so I mean, come on. And I remember one little girl in school. This is a little side note. I was when I was teacher at Sacred Heart, and I think she was about fifteen years old, and I had to be about. 28 or 29. And she said, Mr. Lee, I wonder what you're going to look like when you turn 80. And I said, you know, when I turn 80, you'll be in your 60s. You know that? <laughs> she went, yeah, she's going to age too. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. And, uh, and so uh, what, what, which schools are you teaching at at the moment? Is it, are you still basing the, the programs out of schools? And the same, the same program, the same areas. We have the British school, we have, um, DLC, we have Tokyo American Club. What else? I'm, I'm trying to think now of the different locations, but that's where we have those areas. Yeah. 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 And and uh, if people are watching and they would like to get their kids uh, into the program, it'd be very difficult because they're they're really booked, and most of them are through the school, except for yeah. the American, except for if they're members of the American Club, they can join them there. But it's still difficult. Most of our yeah. program. A waiting list. Yeah, yeah. And and I really don't encourage too many people to come because they disappoint them. And I'm trying to keep who I have. Sure, sure. Because I can see the progression, and I tell the parents when sign up starts, sign up right away. Yeah, yeah. Because I built a rapport with their kids, yeah. and they understand, and with their parents as well. And that's what I'm doing. So it's like, like I said, I'm using gymnastics as a vehicle to build up their confidence yeah right and yeah. when i see that coming through oh it makes all the difference and i've had some kids that had special needs and that's some of the well all of them are heart-wrenching but sometimes when the kids have challenges outside of just being a child that touches me because one little boy went to his father and he was really on the spectrum and I couldn't tell how he felt about it because I was very strict and I treat the children like I, it doesn't matter what spectrum they're on, I treat them all basically the same way. So there's no big difference. He went to his father and told him and cried to his father and said, I want to stay with Mr. Lee. And it really shocked me because I thought I was being really strict with him. Mm -hmm. So active. And he wanted to stay there. I guess he could feel, like I said, that she or feel that vibration he knew it was done with love yeah, yeah. i really cared about him but he's gonna have to do it this way not the way he feels like it yeah <laughs> and that's how he did it it was beautiful no, that's awesome yeah well uh i mean lance it's um it's great um exactly the type of uh your chat i was hoping to have to really get your energy and your passion for what you do across and uh um uh, yeah it's um yeah, it's given me a little bit of inspiration to sort of rethink the way that I coach and see if I can just get a little bit more of that sort of a passion across um, with, with the kids that I work with. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And, um, yeah, um, hopefully we can uh, can chat again either on your platform and or mine. And, um, yeah. Because yeah, having you on was really a pleasure. I mean, so, but I, I could see that you were pretty... You seem like on my platform, you were controlling too much. I want to get a little bit deeper with you, Sam. I, got to, I want to get a little bit closer. I want to ask you a few more questions to get in there so people really know who the Sam is. 
But it was, yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was really good. So we'll have to do that. Yeah, sounds sounds great. All right. All right. Well, thanks very much again, Lance. And um, um, yeah, we we'll look forward to uh, speaking again soon. All right. Thank you too, sir. All right. Cheers.